This morning we are in a new book of the Bible, a new series, the book of Habakkuk. So if you find the book of Matthew in your Bible, the first book in the New Testament, and then go to your left, turn to your left, and you should find the book of Habakkuk. It's right after the book of Nahum. If you get to Ezekiel, you've gone too far. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you have beat us. You won the Bible drill. If you find that your neighbor has found the book of Habakkuk and you can't find it, just take their Bible, give them your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, we do have Bibles for you at the doors. We would love to, to give you one. It's our gift to you, so please pick one of those up. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful to be your church family, to be your sons, to be your daughters. We're, we're thankful for all that you've provided for us as a church, this building, the physical provision, even more so the spiritual provision, God. We ask as we come and start the book of Habakkuk that you would really speak to us. Pray specifically for those that are going through a difficult season in their life, have got hard questions, that they would find themselves coming to you, wrestling with you, having a conversation with you. We know that real understanding and life change comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Would you bless this time? In Jesus' name, amen. There comes a point in every relationship where you have to go there. You know what I mean by that? You have to have the difficult, hard conversation. I don't think that a friendship has gotten very deep until you go there. In a marriage, it's really important that you have the ability to go there and talk about the difficult things in love and in kindness. If not, things are going to continue to fester and get worse. Through the life of a church, over a lifetime of going to church, you're going to have times with relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ where you're going to have to be honest. You're going to have to go there. If you work at a job long enough in order to be effective, eventually you're going to have to go there. You're going to have to have some tough conversations. And I believe to have the most effective, close relationship with the Lord, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to go there. You're going to have to take on those hard questions with the Lord. That's where we find Habakkuk. He is the last prophet to Judah, southern Israel, before they're taken captive by the Babylonians. What he's seeing in Judah causes him to wrestle with some difficult questions. He brings it to the Lord. That's why we've entitled the series Collide. When hard questions meet faith, when the two come together, it's not usually a beautiful, easy process. It's a difficult process. So this morning, my prayer, my point, it's very simple. One thing for you to remember is that you would go there with the Lord. If you've got questions in your life, questions in society, things that you see taking place in our country that disturb you, things that are happening internationally, things that are happening personally, the most healthy thing for you to do spiritually, for me to do spiritually, is to bring those to the Lord. I've found in my life that it's hard to do. That there's something inside of me that says, I don't know if this is right for me to be honest with God. And talking with many of you, you've shared with me the exact same thing. I don't want to complain. I don't want to be disrespectful. 
God is so good to me. How do I come to him and wrestle with these, these hard questions? If you're a parent, and as your children have grown older, don't you want them to come with you to you with the hard questions, even if it's difficult to deal with? Real relationship involves honesty. There's a lot of relationships you can't pour your heart out to because you're not close enough to that person. And I believe that we will go deeper with the Lord if, like Habakkuk, we can go there and look at those hard questions in our lives. So join me in verse 1. It says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Habakkuk, his name means, in the Hebrew, Hebrew names are rich with meaning, to embrace or to cling. So the idea is almost how you would wrestle. And if you're wrestling someone, you're embracing and, and you're clinging. So Habakkuk, he's, he's embracing the Lord, he's clinging to the Lord, and he's wrestling with the Lord. We don't know a lot about this prophet. We do understand that the time period in which he was prophesying was somewhere between 625 B.C. and 606 B.C. As you study the Old Testament, it's really important to understand that Israel divided into two kingdoms. If you remember back to our study of First and Second Samuel, Saul was the first king of Israel. Then David. After David was Solomon. Those three kings enjoyed Israel being united as one kingdom. Solomon rebelled against God. God said, after you die, the kingdom is going to be split. That's exactly what happened. The ten northern tribes developed their own kingdom, which is called Israel, from that point on. The southern two tribes were called Judah. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll find the king of Israel and the king of Judah. If you don't get that, it's very, very confusing. Israel never had one godly king. Every king walked in gross idolatry. 722 BC, prior to the book of Habakkuk, they were already taken captive by the Assyrians. That's already happened. Now Habakkuk's coming on the scene, and God reveals to him that the Babylonians are going to come in and take Judah captive. That takes place in 586 BC. So most likely, this prophecy was around 607 BC under the reign of King Jehoiakim as we look at the activity of Babylon. We can look at history and see when Babylon was doing this and doing that and attacking the the Ninevites. Habakkuk was seeing things in Judah. He was seeing God's people turn away from the one true living God, walking in idolatry, violence, a lack of justice, and it says he was burdened. He was burdened. I think most of us this morning are burdened, that this is a perfect book of the Bible for us to be studying as we look at the world events, our national events, things in our own families, in our own lives, in our own church, in our community, we're burdened. It's pretty difficult to go through our days and all the things that are happening and not be burdened. To not go, God, what's going on? And for our hearts to be stirred and our hearts to be broken and saying, God, what would you have me to do? What do you, what do you want me to engage in? How am I to live? And that's exactly where Habakkuk was as well. In verse 2, it says, O oh, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Habakkuk gets right after it cries out to God and says, God, I've been crying out to you 
and you're not listening. You're not hearing. In the Hebrew, this word cry, it means to scream. God, I'm screaming out to you. And you are not hearing. You're not listening. Do you think that Habakkuk theologically understood that God hears his prayers? Do you think that he shared that with people throughout his life, encouraged them? God is listening. God hears your prayers. But yet, in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this difficulty, he's wondering, God, are you listening? And the reason why is because he's perceiving that God's not doing anything. He brings that hard question to the Lord. He's an example to us to say, do it respectfully, do it lovingly, but bring that question to God. Maybe you're wrestling with that question. You're saying, you know, I've I've prayed for this for so long. God, are you listening? Are my prayers falling upon deaf ears? This gets very real very quickly. Goes on to say, even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Lots of violence taking place in Judah. People getting murdered. Wickedness taking place. And Habakkuk's like, aren't you going to judge? Isn't there going to be justice? Aren't you going to do anything about this violence that's taking place? Every time you go to check the news, what do you see? Intense violence throughout the world, throughout our country. Go to check your Facebook account, your Twitter account. What do you see? Violence. Another shooting. Another terrorist attack. Another, you you fill in the blank. And it causes you to wrestle. It causes you to say, God, what are you doing? Violence brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? God, if you're all powerful, you could stop this. But instead, you're allowing this. We have to remember God gives Everybody free will, doesn't he? And you can choose to follow God. You can choose to walk in righteousness. You can choose to help people. Or you can choose to commit wickedness and to commit violence. This even gets a lot more difficult if you've experienced violence on a very personal level. It's not just the news for you. It's not just a national story for you. You can remember a time in your life where you were a victim of violence. You were physically abused. You were sexually abused. And that raises a lot of questions. Your spouse abused you, the one that was supposed to love you. Your father abused you, the one that was supposed to protect you. You've had someone in your family be murdered in cold blood. And all of a sudden now, you're wrestling in a much greater way. And what we find with Habakkuk is he goes to God and he says, God, there's all this violence, but will you save? I can't answer these questions for you. As a friend and as a a brother in Christ, these are difficult questions. All I can do is point you to the Lord. Take your hard questions to the Lord. Wrestle it through with the Lord meet with the Lord. In the course of this book, Habakkuk goes from confusion to confidence. He goes from wrestling to worship. Things will resolve, but for this morning, let's sit in the difficulty of the question and say, 
Will I go to the Lord with the question? Will I bring it before God? Goes on to verse 3. It says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. That could be this morning's headlines. It could be what you sighed this week. God, why are you showing me all of this sin? Why are you showing me all of this iniquity? Why is there so much strife? Why is there so much contention? Why is there so much violence and, and plundering? Verse 4, Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. How important was the law for Judah? We're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, what God gave through Moses to the children of Israel that they were to follow diligently, powerless. We're dealing with a group of people that have turned their back on God, that don't want anything to do with the Lord, and the result of that then is the word of God is powerless in their life. It no longer has effect. The farther that a society and a group of people get away from the Lord, the more laws become powerless. Because ultimately, laws are a reflection of God's authority. God's created laws, spiritual laws, physical laws, raises up government to put, put laws in place. And when you erode a belief in God, the law becomes powerless. And that's frustrating to, to Habakkuk. Justice doesn't take place. The wicked, they surround the righteous. The wicked are getting away with what they're doing. The judgments they do receive, they're perverse. They're twisted. They're, they're not correct. Verse 5, God answers. And that's the beauty of this. As we bring our hard questions to the Lord, as we're entering into conversation with him, we're going in depth of relationship, and he's going to answer. Could be over a period of time. It could be a process. But if we don't ever have the conversation, we don't get the answer. So God speaks and he says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Habakkuk's feeling is like, God, you're not doing anything. When are you going to set things right in Judah? And God's response is, Keep your eye on the nations because I'm going to do something. You think I'm apathetic, but I'm actively working. And if I were to tell you what I was going to do, you wouldn't even believe it. Isn't that true with God's ways and God's working? We think God's indifferent. We think he's not working. In fact, he is. When we look at world events, events here in our country, God's not apathetic. He's not confused. He's on his throne. He's working his plan according to his purpose. And if he were to tell us what he was doing in the world, doing in our lives, we wouldn't believe it. Sometimes I've wanted to know, God, what's the course of my life between now and heaven? In some ways, it'd be kind of nice to know. But if God were to tell me, I probably wouldn't believe it, and I would for sure argue with him. I, I do not like this right here. I did not sign up for this. I think there's a better way to do this, right? <laughs> Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are not our ways. That they're higher. The heavens 
compared to the earth? Philippians 4 tells us, don't be anxious for anything, but by everything, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. Stop worrying. Start praying like Habakkuk is doing. With thanksgiving, don't forget to be thankful. Then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind. The peace that God wants to give is, doesn't come from understanding all the details of what he's doing. I think of it as a young child. If a young child gets hurt or scared, and you get down on your knee, and you try to explain to them, all right, let, let's figure this out intellectually. There is no monster underneath your bed. I know you've recently seen Monsters, Inc., but I've only experienced a couple monsters in my life. They're, no, you, you don't do that, do you? What if they get an owie? They, they fall down and, and they're hurt. And you say, look, you know, you're, there's millions of kids that have had this happen before. You know, just suck it up. Come on. All right? We're talking like a 12-month-old, an 18-month-old. What do you do? You pick them up. You hold them in your arms. You say, oh, it's going to be okay. They trust based on relationship. Your dad, your mom, I'm trusting that you're telling me it's going to be okay. I don't need anything more. And it's a peace that surpasses understanding. In a lot of ways, we're coming into the arms of our father. We're trusting him, even though we don't trust, or excuse me, we don't understand all that he's doing in our lives. God now tells him more of his plan in verse 6. For indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Chaldeans were the Babylonians. Habakkuk was wrestling prior to this. Now he's really going to wrestle. Habakkuk had hard questions. Now he's got difficult questions. The Babylonians, God says, they're bitter, they're hasty. They're going to go through and take dwelling places that don't belong to them, including Judah. This would be like being concerned with what's going on in the United States of America and saying, God, when are you going to judge? We're so wicked, we're so far from you in, in every area of life. God, I think it's time. I think it's time for you to come and clean house and make things right. There's all this violence and you fill in the blank and God says, okay, I'm bringing in ISIS to bring the correction. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Not, not ISIS. They're way more wicked than we are. They're committing genocide in the name of a false god. That's exactly what Habakkuk's got to wrestle with. This is not what he would expect, that God would use a wicked nation, the Babylonians, that are harsh and brutal, that commit genocide to come in and take them captive. Now hold on a second. Hold on a second. Sometimes you guys misquote me. And every once in a while, you kind of just hear what you want to hear. And it usually comes to me in the form of an email on Monday morning. It says, Eric, did you say that God is going to send ISIS to judge the United States of America? And it goes on to say, I heard you say that God is going to send ISIS to judge the United States of America. There's a very important word that I used. It was like. Like. This is an illustration. I want you to understand 
the heaviness of the news that Habakkuk would receive. I'm not saying that God's bringing ISIS into America to bring judgment. Verse 7, describing the Babylonians, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceeded from themselves. Their reputation speaks for themselves. They're terrible. They're dreadful. There's no dignity in their judgment. Describing their military strength, their horses also are swifter than lepers and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagles that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. Intense. Their faces are like the east wind that's unrelenting. They're able to come in and take captives like the sand. They scoff at kings, verse 10, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. They laugh at kings. They laugh at those that they're conquering. They laugh at princes, and then they come in with their earthen mounds, and they seize the city. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offenses, ascribing this power to his God. In the midst of all this, he's like, ah, what if, why don't I just do some more wickedness? Then ascribing it to their false gods. Verse 12, now we find Habakkuk with more questions. And isn't this the way it works? Hard questions in our lives. We go to the Lord. We begin to have that conversation with the Lord. God begins to answer. I thought I had questions before. Now I really got questions. Continues the conversation. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you've marked them for correction. Habakkuk shows spiritual maturity When confronted with what he doesn't understand, he relies on what he does understand about the Lord. Okay, you're everlasting. You've got the everlasting perspective. You see the beginning from the end. You're holy. There's no wrong in you. You don't commit wickedness. You don't make bad decisions. You're holy. And it's personal. You're you're my God. Oh, Lord, my God. He's submitting to... The fact that God is God, he's Lord, he's master in my life. Holds on to the fact that God is his rock. Knows that Israel will not die. Knows that God will stay committed to his chosen people, even in the midst of receiving judgment. And says, you've appointed them, the Chaldeans, to bring judgment into our lives. You will face things that you don't understand in your life. I face things that I don't understand in my life. And in that moment, you have to rely on what you do understand about God, that God is love, that God is your father, that he's demonstrated his love by giving us his son, and that becomes your anchor. Habakkuk goes on to express his questions. He says, you are pure, you are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. He's saying, God, you can't even look on evil, but yet you're going to use the Babylonians who are are wicked to judge 
us and we're less wicked than them. We're, we're more righteous than them. And, and this is a real question for Habakkuk. In verse 4, why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no rule over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Habakkuk gets what this is going to mean. They're going to be treated like animals by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to come and round them up like animals, drag them off in their net. Saying, God, why? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this? Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them they share its sumptuous and their food plentiful. After they've taken people captive, they worship the net. They worship their tools of cruelty, thinking it's those tools that have brought them the prosperity. Verse 17. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity. We're going to stop right here. If you want to know where the book of Habakkuk's going to go and Habakkuk gets through this, you're going to have to come back next week. But for this morning, I want us to consider, are we willing to go there with the Lord and bring our own difficult questions to God? Now, I know some of you are looking at the clock right now and they're like, is he really going to end this early? Nope, I'm not. I want to show a few others in Scripture that brought their difficult questions to the Lord. So I'm going to take the full time. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at a few others in Scripture that go there, that take these difficult questions to the Lord. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? This may be one of the most difficult questions that anybody asks in all of Scripture. Remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. When he was in the womb, not even born yet, he began to throw a party in there when he came into the presence of the Messiah who was in the womb of Mary. He leapt for joy. He recognized the Messiah before he was even born. Sure, he didn't remember that, but that story was told to him over and over growing up. Jesus was his cousin baptizing people out in the wilderness. Here comes Jesus. God speaks to him. This is the Messiah. He declared from his own lips, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hears the Father audibly from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Sees the dove come down the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus as a dove. But then something happens that he didn't expect. He's in prison. Why is he in prison? Because he spoke out about God's message on sexual integrity. He goes to a leader and says, look, you can't take that woman to be your wife. She's already married to someone else. He didn't like that. Threw him into prison. 
it shouldn't be a surprise to us that the one thing that's going to get you in trouble in society is God's message on sex. That's exactly what got John the Baptist thrown in prison. He's sitting in prison, and he's wondering, did I get this right? My job was to point people to the Messiah, and is he really the Messiah? Do you think it would be hard to send the messengers, his disciples, to Jesus to ask this question? Talk about losing face. I bet that some of us here this morning, we've got deep questions that we're afraid to articulate because we're worried about what other people think of us. You're a rock. You're like John the Baptist. You've loved the Lord. You've served the Lord. You know, you know that God's faithful. I, I can picture John the Baptist in prison going, I'd really like to know. I'd really like to ask this question. But if I ask it, people are going to think I'm weak. People are going to go, what, what in the world happened to John the Baptist? And I'm thankful that he went there, aren't you? That he asked the question. See how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have had the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. The word offended means stumble. Blessed are those that aren't stumbled because of me. John, you're going to be blessed if you're not tripped up over my ways in your life that you trust me in the midst of prison. We're looking for a happy ending with John the Baptist. We're thinking once he received this from the Lord, he got the get-out-of-jail-free card. He did. He got his head lopped off. That's how he got out of jail free. That was God's ways in his life. That's what God chose for him, was to die a martyr's death. Verse 7 tells us the messengers go back to tell this to John. Jesus goes on to talk about John. And he says in a few more verses, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. You may not think that Jesus would compliment John the Baptist after he was doubting to such a great degree. But God said, you can't find someone better born than John the Baptist. My point is, God's not going to beat you up for bringing the hard question to him. Jesus didn't go, oh, John, oh, John, I can't believe it. Don't you remember? The Father spoke audibly from heaven. He said, no, man, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Let's look at Job, Job 3, verses 3 and 4. If you'd like, you can turn there. Job 3, verses 3 and 4, before the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Job lost his children. His children die, loses his possessions, Loses his health, has these terrible boils. He has some hard questions, naturally. This is Job 3, verse 3. May the day perish in which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. Saying, God, could we just wipe out that day that I got conceived? We just remove that altogether? My birthday, the day that I was born, can we just wipe that day off the, the, the face of the earth? Goes on in verse 11 and says, Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? 
God, you knew the beginning from the end. You knew that this was going to happen in my life. Why did you ever allow me to be born? Why did you ever allow me to be conceived? It would have been better if it was lights out from the beginning. Remember, Job is lifted up to us as an example of endurance in the book of James. God says Job handled this well. Job never cursed God. He has honest conversations with God, but he didn't cross that line of cursing God. I believe one of the key reasons that Job handled this well is because he had the difficult conversation with God. He went there into his relationship with the Lord. You know the book of Job. At the end, God's got some hard things to say. He breaks it down to Job, but that's all a result of the fact that Job went where he should go. He went to the Lord with, with his wrestling. Psalm 73. Now turn just a little bit to the right in your Bible, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, verse 1. This is a psalm of Asaph, the worship leader. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here he is, the worship leader, and he comes in and he's having a bad day. And he's frustrated, saying, I don't know if I can continue to keep my feet underneath me. I know God's good, but everywhere I look, it seems like the wicked are prospering. Ever struggle with that? Here you are trying to walk with the Lord, walking in integrity, do your best at work, don't rob time from your employer. Don't cut corners. You have a coworker, for lack of better words, that's just downright wicked. Doesn't care if they come in late or not. Cutting corners, talking bad about the boss. And every time you turn around, they get a raise. You know, you got some friends from high school that farthest thing from following the Lord. Every time you check their Facebook posts, it's a bigger house, bigger car. Great vacation. I don't know if it's worth it to follow the Lord. Honest questions. Look at verse 16 and 17. It says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I can't even think about this anymore. It just hurts too bad. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. The light bulb went on. It's about eternity. And in eternity, God is going to hold them accountable for their wickedness, and God rewards righteousness. Psalm 73 is an example of someone taking their hard questions to God. Last one, you don't have to turn there. You've been doing great. Let me just tell you this story. 1 Kings 19, it's with Elijah, the great prophet, comes to the prophets of Baal, the false gods, and says, look, let's just see who the one true living God is. Let's both make an altar, call out to our God. The one true God is going to bring down fire from heaven. Prophets of Baal go first, nothing. It's Elijah's turn. He even drenches his altar so it's really wet. Makes it a lot harder to catch on fire. Calls out to God, God, this is your moment. If you want to show your glory, we'd really appreciate it. Fire from heaven. Altars consumed. Elijah then goes and kills the false prophets 
that are ripping off the children of Israel. Like it's an ultimate man moment. It like just roars. It's like, Rawr! you know, say, like, hey, I'm a man of God. I trust God. This isn't going to happen anymore. Let's do this right now. And you're like, yes. And then there's chapter 19. There's a little lady. Her name's named Jezebel, the queen of Israel, wicked, wicked, wicked woman. And she goes, Elijah, did you just kill those prophets? I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, Elijah forgot about the fire from heaven. He forgot about God's power. He wasn't worried about his life moments ago. He runs for his life now. Turns out he's human. Turns out he's just like us. And we come to 1 Kings 19 verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's a prophet. And at this point, he says, I'm going non-profit. <laughs> Putting in my resignation. <laughs> Even beyond his resignation, he's like, I don't want to live anymore. How did he go from such an amazing experience, one of the highlights of his life, to now I'm done? Read the rest of the chapter. God meets to him. God speaks to him in a still, small voice. I want to share one moment in time in my life where I wrestled with some hard questions. There was a book that came out when I was in college, in Bible college. It was entitled, When You're Disappointed with God. I saw that title in a bookstore, and in my youthful arrogance, I said, how could you ever be disappointed with God? God gave his son for us. We're wicked. He gave us grace. We're saved. We've got heaven. So anything else that he does, we're still on the great side of the deal. And in my heart, I'd get kind of frustrated and not understand when people would articulate that they were frustrated with God as they're wrestling through their own hard questions. Until life journeyed on to 2008. It was an amazing day. It was Easter 2008. We had just finished this sanctuary in March. It was our first Easter celebration here. So much work went into this sanctuary. A year and a half process. Watched them put up the, the cinder blocks. Now we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. A lot of people got saved that day. A lot of people rededicated their lives to Christ. And I left that morning feeling like this is an amazing day in my life. We had two... Kids at the time, Hannah and Addie, Amber was pregnant with our third. My brother and his wife were in town from Southern California. We go to Payway for lunch. Amber leans over my ear and she says, I think that something's not right. Something's not right with the baby. But right, right there in the midst of this joyous time, this joyous celebration, we were far enough along to hear the heartbeat, to tell everybody, be all, all excited, bond with this little child. We thought we were masters of the system at this point with having two kids and having them be healthy. It never entered our mind that there could ever be possibilities or difficulties. Monday morning, we go in to have a checkup and they do the ultrasound. And there's death in the womb. There's not life in the womb. This little, this little baby that could fit in the palm of my hand, there's no heartbeat. 
Those are always such joyous times, such great memories with all of our kids to hear the heartbeat, to see those ultrasounds and see them in there moving around and kicking and doing all these things. But this day was different. It's like the lights got turned out. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't have a place in my life to put this. And it's weird how certain things stick in your mind. I go to pump gas into the minivan, the old faithful minivan. It's cold, it's windy. And all of the emotion of that loss came into my heart and my mind. We took some time to go through the process and then it was time to get back to work. And as I was heading back into work, it was the weekend of the men's retreat. I love going to men's retreat. I love talking to men and sharing God's word with men. But it's also a really busy weekend because there's a message you prepare Friday night. You usually drive up to Winter Park or Buena Vista, come back Saturday and teach Saturday night service and Sunday morning services here at at RMC. It's two different messages. So prep time doubles that week. And I didn't have the strength to put together a message. And I've been teaching God's word since I was 14 years old. I'm used to it. I enjoy it. It comes natural for me. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't put together a message. All this stuff was in my heart. All these hard questions was happening inside of me that I hadn't gone to the Lord with yet. I tried to gut it out. Well, I'm just going to man it out. I'm just going to get up and go study and stay up all night if I need to to try to get these two messages together. And I just felt something in my heart. I need to go to God with this. And I remember getting down next to our bed, getting on my knees, and I just felt led to pray out loud and start to have these hard conversations with the Lord. And it was very hard for me to do it. And I don't know why. I don't know why it was hard to go to that place with God and begin to talk honestly. I remember saying, God, I trust you, but I'm disappointed. This isn't the way that I wanted things to turn out. And my mind went back to that book that I was too arrogant to pick up. Because how could you be disappointed with God? And God met me, and he began to comfort me. And it was a process of time. It's going to be a process for Habakkuk. But it was very important for me to go there with the Lord. And I want to encourage you this morning, just gently come alongside of you. If you've got questions that you haven't brought to the Lord, things in the past, things in the present, Big or small, nothing's too small, nothing's too big. Just take some time today. Apply this message. Get alone with God. Go for a drive. Go for a walk. I've been thinking this for a long time. I've been wrestling with this a long time. But God, I've never brought it to you. Because as you bring it to the Lord, just like Habakkuk, then God begins to meet you. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people. Your sons, your daughters, those that you love, those that you died for, those that you created in the womb, in your image. Or you know them. You know the hairs on their head. You know their thoughts. You know their pains and their struggles. 
And I ask in Jesus' name that you'd bring comfort, that you'd bring peace, that we could respond to your word this morning and come to you with our hard questions. I'd ask you to decide right now in your heart, are you going to go there with the Lord? Even now to begin to respectfully but honestly begin to ask those questions. And Father, today and over the next few weeks and few months, and possibly even years, as we wrestle with these questions, we pray that we would grow in faith, that we would grow in trust in you, grow in understanding of who you are. So would you cause your face to shine upon your people and bring comfort in Jesus' name. Amen.